You're listening to Real Birth Stories, the podcast where we hear unique and fascinating birth stories straight from the mother's mouth. Real Birth Stories is brought to you by Butterbean, the online platform for parents and parents-to-be. If you'd like to find out more, then head to butterbean.uk or follow us on Instagram or Facebook under the name butterbean.uk. She was there and she came out and she was beautiful, healthy. And then my placenta splattered on the floor. I went to bed and I was feeling a bit sick and then I started having some contractions. Because how you're meant to feel and how, what you're meant to do and all those other things, there's such a prevailing narrative out there. And I think it's very difficult to not subscribe to that. <laughs> I'd learned that like you can moo and I was like, moo, moo. It was a whole scene and none of the roads had been plowed because it was the middle of the like 4 5 a.m. at this point. But for me, it went pop. It was like wetting myself. It was like I sat there and then it came out of completely out of nowhere. It's like a balloon burst inside me. Hello and welcome to Real Birth Stories with me, Lucy, your host. And me, Scarlett, your other host. This week's guest is 31-year-old Meg, originally from the US, but a recent British citizen. Meg lives in London with her husband, Tom, and their two-year-old pug, Truffle, and their 13-month-old daughter, Phoebe, whose birth story we'll be talking about today. Meg works for a creative events agency in London. Meg, before we start, so you've just become a British citizen. I've heard mad stories about the questions you have to answer in the test. Can you tell us about what you had to answer? Oh my God. Yeah. It was crazy. Basically last minute self. I basically just crammed for it the night before. So you can buy this book on Amazon that is literally called life in the UK test study guide. <laughs> and it's about 140 <laughs> pages and it is just on British history. And some of the questions are just ridiculous. Like who was King George's second wife removed and their child's name? I mean, I don't even know that. I don't know that. I know it's crazy. Yeah, I honestly felt like I really wasted it on pub quiz knowledge, though. I should have gone and done like loads of pub quizzes after and I didn't. And now I've forgotten everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you would have won. I've heard um, bizarre things about Coronation Street being in there and all sorts of nonsense. So I, I just, it's hilarious. So well done. You're a British citizen. You're, probably, you're more British than us. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. So should we kick straight off, Scarlett? Yeah, let's get into it. So where to start? How did you find out you're pregnant? That's a good place to start, I think. Yeah, so we had been trying for four or five months, which is very lucky that I got pregnant that quickly. But we went away for our anniversary to this really lovely hotel called Time in the countryside. I had started being really strict with trying for a baby. So I was like, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to have coffee. I'm going to follow all the rules that they tell you if you really want to get pregnant. And then we went there and I was like, screw it. I'm just going to like drink so much. I mean, literally not that much, but <laughs> I just wanted to like <laughs> let loose, have a good time. And I remember going to the spa because I have this really nice spa there and I got a massage. And then before you got the massage, you had to fill out this form. And on the form, it said, could you be pregnant? And I was like, ooh, maybe. I mean, maybe I could. So I clicked maybe, not thinking that this was going to spark like a whole load of conversations with this random person I've never met. And so she comes out and she's like, oh, sorry, I just looked at your form. Could you actually be pregnant? Because if so, like, I can't give you a massage. And at that point in time, the massage was way more important than anything in the entire world. So I was like, no, 
Definitely not. <laughs> Could not be pregnant. Nope, I'm fine. She was like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. And then thinking in my head as well, it was like, what would the circumstances, like, why is that so important if I was pregnant? I was getting a massage. Anyways, long story short, didn't get my period. Then two days later, which I was supposed to, took a test and I was pregnant. Just after the massage? Literally just after the massage. So I don't know if she pushed a baby in there with her <laughs> with her <laughs> massage skills or what, but I also really panicked after that and like Googled what happens if you have a massage. And apparently it can just make you have a bit more sickness in your pregnancy, which is very ironic because I was very ill during pregnancy. So it's probably all my fault. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, no, no. I think we call it the masseuse's fault, actually. <laughs> I know, I know. Never going back to that hotel. <laughs> So she basically did that to you, so that's good, isn't it? <laughs> I know. Oh, I hope she's not listening. Exactly. <laughs> she relaxed you and then the baby was like, hello, I'm going to come now. Hello, I'm here. Exactly. I'm here. And I think that night as well, like I did drink quite a bit as well. Like I literally Googled all this after. I was like, oh my God, got drunk, had massage. <laughs> what are the consequences? <laughs> and I was absolutely fine, so... I've heard of that happening with other people where they've been like taking it really, really seriously and being really religious with it. And then as soon as they're like, screw it, I don't care. Yeah. It happens. I've heard it happen quite a lot. I know. I feel like it's the story of my life. When you stop thinking about it, that's when it happens. Yeah, exactly. It's that saying, isn't it? You wait for one bus to come and then five come along at once. That kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. I know. I can. Exactly. You said you were really ill during pregnancy, which is awful. Mm. How was your pregnancy in general? what happened yeah so I was really cocky in the beginning like on total bliss until about six weeks I got really obsessed with it as well I brought loads of pregnancy tests and I would test like every week because I was like am I still pregnant am I still pregnant which was ridiculous because you can't get the ones that go past three weeks plus anyways so I was like five weeks and it was like three weeks pregnant but yeah six weeks hit and all of a sudden I was like so ill <laughs> just so ill and then it just escalated to the point where I eventually couldn't get out of bed and I couldn't keep anything down. I couldn't keep water down. I eventually had to take sick leave from work because that was kind of at the peak of COVID and all of our meetings were on Teams. So I kept like just clicking off of my video, <laughs> being sick, coming back. And then eventually I had to tell my boss that I was pregnant before I ideally wanted to because I was just so ill. There was no other explanation. And eventually I was diagnosed with hypermesis, which is just a very intense sickness that you can have in pregnancy. So only like 3% of women have it. So yay, lucky me. Yeah. It was really tough. So I had that first and second trimester. I had to go to hospital quite a few times to be put on a drip because I kept throwing up. And for the safety of the baby, I had to be hydrated, lost a lot of weight. I mean, Phoebe was fine. And that's the one thing that kept annoying me about, because at first I was with a hospital I, I didn't really like. And the midwife was always like, it's great that you're ill because that means the baby's healthy. And I was like, what? <laughs> but yeah, but I feel like crap and this is not fun. And, mm. you know, you have this preconception as a woman like, oh, you'll be glowing and you'll look fantastic when you're pregnant. And I just wasn't getting that vibe in the first two trimesters. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, high premises is really serious. It's really a really debilitating yeah. condition. 
Mm. Yeah, I'm so sorry you had that because that is the other person that I know of who's had that. There's a famous person who's came Middleton. That's how that's how there was like awareness built around it. Mm. But um, yeah, being hospitalised is really common with it, isn't it? Yeah, because you basically so dehydrated it becomes dangerous. Oh god, and it's totally debilitating. So yeah, yeah, it was tough because I feel like it kind of really questions your mental state as well. At that time, I wasn't doing very well with my mental state. I just lost my father to COVID. And then it was all around Christmas. And I think I was nine, 10 weeks pregnant then. And then I got COVID with the hyperemesis and it was just so intense. And I was like, this sucks. I know that, I mean, that sounds so crappy to say when you're pregnant and you're growing a human, but it really tests you like emotionally. But yeah, then I got through it and then I got, given some anti-sickness pills, which eventually kicked in and started working. And then I slowly started feeling myself. And I was really lucky because I kept hearing other stories of women who had it and they had it until like the baby literally popped out. And I was like, please don't let that be me. I don't want to have that. And so come my third trimester, I switched and was able to function and started enjoying my body changing and my belly and things got brighter, which is good. Yeah. That sounds like you went through a lot there with your dad, with COVID. I can't pronounce it, the sickness. Yeah. What's it called? I can't pronounce it. Yeah, it's a hard one. That's not even like the full term. Yeah. Which I'm not even going to try and pronounce this, but hyperemesis. Hyperemesis, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot to deal with, Meg. Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah. Your dad, you lost him at the beginning of your pregnancy, was that? It was before. So it was the year before. So we had started trying when he was alive but he didn't get to know that I was, which I struggled with quite a lot. And because of the climate, you couldn't see people. My mom lived in the States then, couldn't see her throughout my entire pregnancy. And like in that moment, that's kind of the person you want the most. So that was really, really hard. But I think anybody who's pregnant and no matter who you are, I think you just go through different things and your mental state is tested. So I think it's just a test to, you know, just shows you how strong women are you know yeah yes yeah yeah totally and it is you're right it is absolutely a test but I can't believe what that midwife said to you that it's a good thing because I mean say that to someone who's suffering with high premises I mean come on I know quite often it's mistaken for for morning sickness Mm, I know and it's not morning sickness oh god it's not that Mm mm-mm I mean, dehydration is serious, yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely, especially when you're growing a child. Especially when I was pregnant, though, I did loads of research on it, and there are groups coming about to kind of raise awareness for it. I think in the last couple of years, more people are aware of the disease, and there are charities you can reach out to when you're pregnant. They can help you mentally and stuff like that, which is really good. Yeah, I've heard of a dedicated Facebook group for, um, no, what was it? I heard about it today, actually. It was a helpline run by women who've suffered with it. Yeah, which is really good because you can basically text someone who suffered with it to say exactly what you're feeling and they don't just go, oh, I'll be right. You know, you get through it. They can say, yeah, this is crap. You get it. Because that's what you want to hear, isn't it? You want to hear that this isn't not good. Yeah, I remember like seeing some of my friends and some of them didn't have like morning sickness at all. They wouldn't understand like what hyperemesis was. They'd be like, oh, I didn't suffer from any morning sickness. My pregnancy has been so easy. And it's like in that moment, you're like, 
honestly, like, why the fuck would she tell that to me? Sorry. <laughs> not helpful. <laughs> I am not helpful, but thank you. I'm so glad for you. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did you do anything like hypnobirthing or what prep did you do in pregnancy? I did it all. I did it all. So I was really late to the hypnobirthing game. So we did Bumpin' Babies, which is a group around here because NCT wasn't being offered. So Bumpin' Babies was told to us to reach out to and see if they had any open classes. So we did that. It was all on Zoom. And then when we were doing the classes, all the women in the class were like, oh, yeah, I've just completed my hypnobirthing class. And I was like, oh, my God, what is that? Why haven't I done it? So I found a really great one in Walthamstow, which is where I live. And yeah, it was really good. What I liked about some things I couldn't get on board with just because I don't think in my mental state at the time I could really wrap my head around it because I was just like, nope, I'm not going to say that their surges, their contractions (laughs) to me in my head at that time. But I loved that it gave my husband a role. So the teacher was really great at telling him to like, stroke my arm when I was feeling stressed or you know we had like a mantra that we said to one another and on the day it actually really came in handy and I think it kind of placed him in my position a bit which was great because before then you know Todd my husband he came to the classes for bump and baby but I feel like the women are really directed in those things and it's all about us and what we're going through and the men kind of just sit there and are like yeah yeah totally I'm there for support but it's like what are they doing to help so that's what I loved about hypnobirthing. What was your mantra? It was just, you're okay, you're okay. And he would stroke my arm up and down and then feed me a gummy bear, which was fantastic. So, Perfect. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the other thing I did, which highly recommend, was the epino. What is an epino? What is that? <laughs> okay, so it's a little bit X-rated. I don't know what the rating is of this. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> it's basically this balloon that you insert it like kind of stretches everything out up there makes you a bit more loose to get going but also the reason I did it is because some of my girlfriends had done it and they were like if you want to know what it feels like to give birth get the epino and me being controlling as I am I was like right it's going to show me what giving birth is like and it was freaking hard. It's really funny. It like comes with this chart and it says, your goal is to get to 10 centimeters. And you're looking at this thing and you're like, what? No, that's not going to happen. And then, and then I think the most I got to was like six centimeters, which was great for me. But when I ended up giving birth, that's what I chanted to the doctor. I was like, I did the epi. No, I don't want to rip. <laughs> oh, bless. I was like, what the hell is an epi no? Like he was like asking the nurses, he's like, what is that? He was like, okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> I was so determined. I was like, come on. I spent the money on this contraption thing. So hang on a minute. So you've not dilated yet. No. So your cervix hasn't moved, but you're sticking something on to dilate yourself. Oh yeah, basically. What? So you're you're only allowed to do it from like I think it's 34 weeks. Like you're not meant to do it before then because it can kind of induce labor. And then you're meant to build up. So you're meant to put it up there. Like you pump the balloon, like you're taking your blood pressure or something. And then it expands. Doesn't feel very nice. Yeah, but. (laughs) Yeah. It was honestly the sight. So my husband came home one day. I had laid down a towel in the bedroom and was just like, (laughs) He was like, what are you doing? And I was like, 
And I was like, nothing, don't come in. <gasps> oh, <laughs> oh, oh my yeah, I know. <laughs> I can't imagine what that feels like. Because, you know, have you ever heard what your cervix feels like when it's dilated and not dilated? No. So when it's not dilated, is what you were doing. Yeah. It feels like your nose. Oh, yes, I have heard this. Yeah, and when it's dilated, it's like your lips. Yeah. So your lips, it's going to be a lot nicer. Yeah, no, it definitely, no, 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 it was like my nose. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) It was just horrible. And then, but it like became like this thing, like my girlfriend's like, I got to 10 centimeters today. And it was all just a bit TMI, but you went with it. You were like, yeah, totally. Good job, girl. Like, you get it. (laughs) Just like, oh, yeah, no. And it's definitely a, a one and done product i mean you can't really purchase that and sell it on definitely don't sell that on (laughs) (laughs) we won't be finding those on ebay (laughs) no if you do like get off that site (laughs) yeah i'm gonna look it up bet you i can find one yeah just talk amongst yourselves second hand i've never heard of that oh geez hang on second hand epi no. The name is intriguing. Yeah. Hang on a minute. No, you can. <gasps> oh. Can you actually? Oh, yeah, they're on eBay. I had had reflexology in the morning, and then I went to this is really random, but the council building like opened up this new square in front of it. And they had this opening ceremony, and there was like fireworks and all this stuff. And so I went to that during the day on my own because Tom was at work and got back. Then he got home from work, had a curry and I was sitting on the couch and I kept getting like cramps. They just felt like period cramps. So Tom was like, why don't you time them? So I had this hypnobirthing app that like timed your contractions. So I did that. Yeah, it was really nice. I mean, it just told you what to do, but I didn't really take it seriously at first. So I put it on and I was timing it. After I timed three of them, it was like, go to hospital right now. And I was like, oh, <laughs> come on. Like, I don't even feel that bad. The app is probably broken or I'm probably doing it wrong. So Tom was like, call the midwife. So I called my midwife. She said, monitor it for an hour. Because I said, like, I'm not in any pain. I just feel like I've got my period. They keep coming and going. She's like, well, just monitor it. But at that point, they were four minutes apart. So it was a bit strange that I wasn't having much pain. So an hour went by. I think I did some wash and like folded some clothes because I was getting really nervous at that point. So I needed to like keep busy. And then called her again. And she was like, no, you need to come in because they were three minutes apart at that stage. And she was like, if they're three minutes apart, you need to come in. We need to check you. So we took my bag that I had packed, which was like five suitcases. And we went to the hospital and I said to Tom, I was like, we don't need the suitcases. I'm going to come home. Like it's not happening tonight. It's not. And so when I got there, first they did a sweep. And then when she did a sweep, she was like, you're dilated two centimeters. And she said, we're just going to monitor you, your heart. And when they did that, they could hear the baby's heart and they felt like her heart rate was kind of dropping. So they said, we really need to induce you to get things going because it's not going fast enough. So then they put pessary in, at which point, didn't really know what it was. I was like, sure, I guess let's do that. So I have to explain what pessary is quickly. Yeah. So pessary is a form of induction. Oh, okay. So it's a little tampon that gets inserted into your vagina and it releases hormones to get 
labour going. But it's, it's induction. Oh, so it induces labour. Okay, so it forces you to yeah. go to 100. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Meg. Yeah. So I had heard stories. I was really nervous. I had been told the different versions you can do for induction. Pessary was one of them, obviously. And then but I didn't want the hormone drip because I was really scared of that. So I was like, okay, I'll try the pessary. So anyways, they put it in and then they said, okay, we're going to put you in this room that had loads of other compartments in it. So there was quite a few people there that were clearly pregnant and in labor, but like induced or something. And I remember laying there and I was like, oh, I don't feel anything. Like I'm not in any pain. It's fine. Like, I can't believe we have to stay here. And Tom was like, just try and sleep. Because at that point it was like 11 p.m. I could hear other people. There was one woman like screaming. It sounded like she was having sex. And I was like, oh, like this woman's having sex. <laughs> she was like, I think she's just in pain. And I was like, oh, I mean, I feel no pain. Like I was really cocky at that point. Someone was watching The Simpsons, which just annoyed me at that point. <laughs> Not a fan. <laughs> Not a fan. And it was so hot because it was one of the hottest days of the year in July. And then all of a sudden, it just went from like zero to 60. My water broke on the bed not very pretty. I mean, in movies, they make water breaking look, you know, like not the big of a deal. Wasn't very nice. It wasn't clear water that came out. So it wasn't great. Oh, I didn't know that. I know. I didn't know that either. And then the pain was just like, it was just another level. And so I was having contractions thick and fast. They were super painful. And I was probably sounded like the woman next to me who has to have sex. And they probably thought the same thing about us. So I called for the midwife. I was like, I am in so much pain. Please, can I have an epidural? I want an epidural. And she was like, are you sure? You don't want to try the other pain medicine first? I was like, no, I want an epidural. Because I was actually, side note, I was really scared about the other pain medicine. I don't know if you want to explain what that is, Lucy. I can't remember the name of it. What, Cytosin? Yeah. The drip or... No, not the hormone, but it's like just a really strong painkiller. It's like the one step before an epidural. Oh. But I had heard, and I can't remember the name of it. Opiates. Oh, an opioid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so opiates, yeah, they're like gas and air, but they last, so they last for four hours and they can make you really sleepy. Mm. And they can make it really difficult towards the end of when you're actually giving birth because you keep falling asleep between contractions. Oh. And it just means you're just out of it. And you've got, then got to wait for it to wear off. Yeah. With gas and air, you can breathe in, you can mm. breathe it out, and it's gone. You don't like it. The opiates, you mm. can't get rid of them. It's, they're with you for four hours. So Exactly, and that's what I didn't want. And I had also heard that it can make you sick, and after mm. everything I'd gone through with pregnancy, mm. I was like, no, thank you. Yeah, it definitely can. So, yeah, so I was like, no, no, I want an epidural. And so the pain just kept getting worse. Eventually, she was like, okay, we'll take you through, we'll take you through. So they took me to the delivery room, and they – said that they had called like the anesthesiologist to come and do the epidural, but in the meantime to have gas and air. So again, I was a bit nervous about gas and air because I'm just not good with things that I can't control. I didn't like that like gas and air was going to make me like loopy or something, but I, I absolutely love this stuff. It was fantastic. <laughs> so she was like, try, try it, try it. It, it will help you. It will help you. So I kept doing that that took a little bit of the edge off and it was quite great because they just gave it to me and I did what I wanted and then gave it back when I didn't want any more guy came in gave me an epidural and also <laughs> not great when you have an epidural and they like have you read this form beforehand that's like you could become paralyzed you could die <laughs> blah, blah, blah. and I was like oh yeah sure 
totally want one. And I was like, can my husband just read it? And they were like, no, ma'am, you need to read it. Like you need to know what you're getting yourself into. And I was like, just give it to me, please. So they did that. And yeah, and then it eventually kicked in. But then when they checked me, because they were like, oh, I don't think you're that dilated. Like, I don't know why you're in this much pain. Then they checked me. I was seven centimeters. So within two hours, I had jumped from two to seven. Was that the pessary? That's amazing. Does the pessary do that? Yeah. Okay. I guess. Yeah. It was just insane. It was so fast. And it also, it will have made it more painful. Mm. I always describe it a little bit running a race. Yeah. You start running a marathon or run a 10K, whatever it is, whatever length, and you go slowly at the start and then your body warms up Mm. because your blood moves around your system and your muscles warm up and then the whole thing is kind of easier to manage. If you just Mm. go from standing still to sprinting. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Yes. It's going to hurt your muscles because your muscles go into shock of like, what is going Mm. on? And that's what makes it more painful because it goes from like zero, probably you, you probably more at like 10 or 20 to like a hundred. And that's what makes it more painful. Yeah. So I'm surprised they said, we don't know why you're in this much pain because you've had an induction. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I think maybe they were just shocked at how quick it took because they were like, you know, stay overnight. We'll check you in the morning. But yeah, so anyway, so they came in and checked me and then they were like, all right, we're in a good place right now. Just, you know, ride through the contractions. We'll come back in a few hours. So at that point, I think it was like four or five in the morning. They will come back in like around nine the next morning, try and get some rest. It will be slow from now. That's what they kept saying. I was like, okay. So some time went on and I was actually feeling quite good. I was enjoying my pregnancy. What I liked about the epidural because I thought the epidural was just going to numb my whole body. I wouldn't be able to feel anything. But I could still feel my legs. I could still stand up. I could walk around. Oh, wow. Which was great. Yeah. They did tell me that if I would have been on the epidural for a lot longer, it would take more of an effect. So maybe I would start to get a bit more numb. But it was great. It kind of just tricked my brain into thinking I wasn't in any pain. And Tom fed me gummy bears. And we listened to music. And it was great. And then... It got to a point where I kept getting like nervous that I was sitting too much because I had read loads about all these great positions you could do when you're in labor. And I really wanted to do them, but it was all if you hadn't had an epidural. So I said, can I please just stand and walk around? Can I go on the ball? And she was like, yeah, yeah, just be careful because you're connected. So I went to stand up and I was like, oh my God, I have to go to the bathroom. And she was like, "Mm, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, no, I really have to go to the bathroom. I was trying to be like modest about it. You know, I was like, I have to go number two. And she was was like, I don't think you have to go number two. I think. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I have to go number two. She was like, lay back down and let me check you. So she did. And then she goes, honestly, like, I don't get how she would have thought this would have been like, in a relaxed tone, she was like, I don't want to alarm you, but I'm going to press the red alarm button. (laughs) But it's fine. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, lady, I got a poo. Can you just let me go to the bathroom? And so she presses this alarm button. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. I kid you not, honestly, 12 doctors came into the room. My legs were like spread wide open. 
like there was even a man with like a little tray that moved with like a computer. I was like, who the hell is that? What is he doing? Like, is he just like dictating everything that I say? It's I don't taking a minute. It's so bizarre. <laughs> it's taking minutes. Like, what? And so <laughs> the, the main doctor was like, right, you're 10 centimeters. We're going to need you to push now. And I was like, yeah, okay. So that went on for like five, 10 minutes that I push, 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 20 people yelling at me like I was on display. It was honestly like one of those dreams where you're naked and everyone just stares at you, except my fanny was wide open. (laughs) (laughs) Still thinking I had to poo, honestly. I was like, oh, my God, what if that comes out while I'm doing this? (laughs) And then... People just kept being like, you're doing great. You're doing great. We can see the head. She's coming. And then they said, right, we're going to have to use the vacuum because the umbilical cords wrapped around her neck. And as much as you're pushing and as hard as you're trying, I don't think we're going to be able to twist her. So that is when my epino chat came into play. So I was like, <laughs> I did the epino. I've heard that if I have the vacuum, I'm going to rip. Don't let me rip. He was like, okay, but I do want to say that a lot of people rip with a vacuum. So don't be alarmed. It'll be fine. I was like, no, you don't understand. I did the epino. I cannot rip. (laughs) Anyways, they did the vacuum and she was there and she came out and she was beautiful, healthy. And then my placenta splatted on the floor. Oh, lovely. Right after her. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> Which was super romantic as that's the first thing Tom saw. No, but then... They put her on my chest and she fed right away, which was great. Amazing. Yeah. And she grabbed onto my locket because my locket, I had bought this locket when I was pregnant that had pictures of my dad in it. And she grabbed onto that right away, which was just bizarre to me. And she looked up at me. Her eyes were wide open when she was born. She's really alert. And yeah, it was magical. We were all just there. That's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible that she knew that. It's just like an intuition that she knew. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, it was great. And then we FaceTimed my mom because I hadn't seen my mom all through pregnancy. And Tom had been keeping her up to date. And it was like we were just all there. And it was just great. Mm. Yeah, it was lovely. But because my placenta had burst, I had lost quite a bit of blood. So they gave me some medicine for that. And I had quite a lot of blood clots, apparently, because of it. I just remember the doctor, like, putting his hand up there, moving around, trying to get him out. And I was like, oh, my God, this is not a nice feeling. They took Phoebe away. Mm. The medicine made me ill. So it was a bit of a rough start to being a mom. (laughs) And I was so disappointed because I heard so much about the tea and toast. And I was like, can I please have my tea and toast? And they were like, are you sure? Will you be able to keep it down? And I was like, I just want the tea and toast. I was not able to keep the tea and toast down. Oh, no. I know. Scarlett, have you heard about the famous tea and toast? I have not. Tell me about the tea and toast. It's just like, it's like a rite of passage. Every, every woman who gives birth in hospital Aww. gets tea and toast after yeah. they give birth. It's a rite of passage. It's supposed to be like your best meal ever because you've just pushed out a baby and then... I had a Domino's pizza. I know, which sounds amazing as well. This episode is also not sponsored by Domino's. <laughs> just to make that clear. 
You never know. You could get a sponsor by them. Yeah, if you're listening, Domino's Pizza, I'll take the money. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that would <laughs> But yeah, and then after I was feeling a bit better and we had lots of cuddles with Phoebe, then I remember the midwife saying, we're going to move you to a cubicle now, which is where you'll stay because they wanted to keep us overnight because of the blood loss. And she said, do you want to take a shower before you go? And I was like, yeah, actually, that would be great. And I swear that was the weirdest experience of my life. Doing something so normal like a shower. I went in by myself. I was like, I'm just going to go by myself. It was really weak because I was coming off of an epidural. I just stood in the shower and cried. Oh, really? Yeah, because it was just so surreal. I had just given birth and now I was taking a shower. It was the strangest feeling ever. Mm. And it was kind of like, you know, a bit of relief, bit of like, you've just done this huge thing. Your life has changed. But yeah. It is a weird thing, isn't it? Like I experienced the same thing where you, you go through this mammoth event and then suddenly everything's totally normal and it's bizarre. Yeah. But it's not normal yeah. because you've got a tiny human to look after and your life's completely changed. But it's I know. really odd, really odd. Yeah, it's crazy. Did you get home quickly after that then? Yeah, so they kept us overnight and they moved us to a private room, which was very nice. And Tom got to stay with me. I didn't mention that I ended up switching hospitals and I got to work with this Arcacia team, which is really great. So it's a team within the NHS that helps women who are suffering from anxiety or depression or any kind of mental issue. And they really helped me with what I was going through at the time. And they allowed Tom to stay because it was still like a month after Phoebe was born is when everything kind of opened up, which was great for Matley. But we didn't think Tom was going to be able to stay in the hospital when I gave birth. But he did. So that was lovely. Mm. And then they let us go the next morning. So we got to go home. Brilliant. Wow, what a story. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? What do you think, Scarlett? It's an incredible story. It's like just listening to you speak about it. I just think what you did, all mums are incredible, don't get me wrong. But with everything that you went through previously, I know fucking wonder you cried in the shower I would do you know what I mean like the release it must have just been like this huge release and yeah yeah well done I don't know what else to say really from someone who hasn't had a child I hope that that doesn't come across as but yeah well done thank you yeah such a journey I mean particularly like you said all the um, personal stuff that you went through doing it all in COVID and I know how close you and your mum are as well and not seeing her the whole Mm. time you were pregnant like I didn't see, I saw my mum probably three times when I was pregnant. I still saw her, mm. but you didn't see her at all. And I know how close she was. That must have been really, really difficult. So dealing with, you know, that extreme sickness, losing your dad and not being able to see your mum. Mm. I mean, yeah, very, you're a very strong person. Yep. Admiration. <laughs> very resilient. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I try. Yeah. So feeding. Let's talk about feeding. So how did you decide to feed Phoebe? What was the decisions you made and how you wanted to feed her? Yeah, so I was really nervous about feeding. So I was bottle fed as a baby. Mm. So I kind of like when I was trying to get pregnant and everything, I thought, oh, I'll bottle feed. Like that's what my mom did. That's what my grandma did. That's what I want to do. But then I read loads about the benefits of breastfeeding, you know, stuff that my mom wouldn't have known. It wasn't as popular in the States when she gave birth to me. 
And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. I had heard of all the difficulties women can have. I had heard that, you know, sometimes the baby will try and latch and it might not happen. I kind of just took the open mind that I'll give it a go and just take it from there and see how my body will feel. I was really lucky that when she came out, like she went straight to my boob and latched perfectly. She didn't have tongue tie. So I did that, but I incorporated a bottle from the beginning because I think it was my way of still doing what I had thought I wanted to do, but then trying something new. And it was just the way that I felt like I could make sense of it. So I would feed her on my boob and then do a little bit of a top up with a bottle. I got into like a schedule and a routine with that. Is that with formula that you topped up with formula? Yeah. Yeah. So I topped up with formula. Phoebe then later on, like from four months, she had really bad reflux. So we ended up going to formula fully, but like a reflux formula. And I really enjoyed breastfeeding. So I breastfed for six weeks. There was things I didn't enjoy. So I feel like there was times I looked in the mirror and I was just like, I don't recognize myself like I had nipple stains on my shirt I remember one time I got out of the house because Tom watched Phoebe for the first time and I went and got my nails done and I forgot to wear like a breast pad and just like my whole shirt was just soaked and I just remember the woman was so nice and she was just like would you like some tissue and I was like oh my god like I didn't even realize and it kind of makes you feel a bit like oh, like I feel gross. But then at the same time, you're like, you're doing this wonderful thing. And the moments I had with her breastfeeding in the middle of the night and during the day, it was a lovely bond. It was a lovely experience. And I felt like I loved that I could give that to her and no one else could. I got quite emotional when I decided to stop. But then at the same time, I was like, I feel a bit freer because I can wear what I want to wear and I don't have to worry about certain bras I have to wear. I have quite a big chest. And so when I was breastfeeding, this is actually funny, naive me, I didn't realize that you're meant to switch boobs. So (laughs) I literally only fed her on my left boob for like a month. I was literally like, why is my right boob so engorged? I don't understand. And asked the midwife she was like you need to be switching like you should be switching every day I was like oh I didn't realize that like oops nobody tells us that though I don't think that's ever been told to me yeah yeah so I didn't know you were meant to be doing that I tried to pump because I really wanted Tom to be able to participate in feeding and he did do a lot of the bottle feeds but he was like I'd like to do some of the breastfeeding as well I couldn't pump for some reason I tried to get an electric pump And it just like nothing came out. And I literally would look at myself and I was like, your boobs are huge. Like, where is it all going? Why isn't it coming out? I don't understand. So yeah, so that's when I decided at six months, I did it. I enjoyed it. I loved the experience. I would definitely do it again with a second child, but Mm. I didn't want to do it the whole time. But you did it your way and that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and the the leaky boobs that happens before your breastfeeding has become established because it takes about mm. six to eight weeks ish for your basically your body to like catch up and go oh yeah. I know what the baby needs now and then it stops just basically splurting out milk all the time oh well that's good yeah. 
but you did it your way and I think it's really important to do whatever you're comfortable with and there is advice on what you should do but I really believe that women's mental health definitely should be up there as a high high priority and if you're doing something that doesn't make you happy then you should be doing it yeah 100% yeah that's something that I did actually struggle with in the beginning because I was actually nervous that people were going to judge me for bottle feeding Mm. because in the UK I just feel like everybody breastfeeds and it is the culture and and you'll even find like in hospitals they won't even offer to help you with bottle feeding because they're just so pro breastfeeding and I've always been like just pro fed so if the baby is fed and happy and healthy like it shouldn't really matter I completely understand the benefits of breastfeeding Mm. completely but there are also benefits to formula yeah and also like you just said I think if you are happy and comfortable with what you're doing, your baby will be even happier. Yeah. Well, the thing is about formula, formula gets such a bad rep mm. for a few reasons which are valid. One of them being that formula companies, really their marketing strategy is to undermine women's confidence so that you buy their products. Mm. There is no end to what they will do to undermine women's confidence. I've heard the story a few, like a number of years ago about a formula company that, sponsored hospital ward and they separated mothers and babies they basically they worked out the design and they had input into the design and the architecture so that mothers and babies separated yeah. at birth and that means that breastfeeding couldn't happen oh. so stuff like that is like mm. evil yeah that's horrible but then you get this kind of thing around really protecting women who want to breastfeed and really protecting breastfeeding i get but what's not explained it's because you've got these formula companies who will try and get to them if you let them mm. the formula as a product for newborns, not ideal because newborns need the more protection than formula, but it mm. does contain the things that a baby needs to thrive. It just doesn't contain all the extra things that breast milk has, which gives babies protection from mm. infections and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it just gets such a bad rep for lots of reasons that aren't communicated. Yeah, completely. I think there's a rule in the NHS as well. They can't even suggest a formula because I remember asking my midwife, you know, I do want to do co-feeding and what type of formula do you suggest she's like we're not allowed to suggest different formula brands i should say to you is um they're all the same yeah because what you do then is tell the truth they're all the same it doesn't matter which one you pick but so i can't recommend one because they're all the same so if you want to go and pick one yeah. just go and get any off the shelf because there's, there's stuff like that it's like if someone wants to formula feed and that's what they want to do they might have very personal reasons they want to do that yeah completely you shouldn't be standing in their way as a barrier, but equally, you know, it's helping them understand that breastfeeding may be the best for their baby at that time. But it's really complicated. It's a really, really complicated subject. I think it's just like educating yourself. Yeah. If you want to be someone who has both, is there a recommended amount of time to be on the breast? Till breastfeeding is established, recommended. Which is about eight weeks. Exclusive breastfeeding okay. for eight weeks is recommended. And then you can move to do both because you give your body a chance to basically warm up and get used to what yeah. the baby needs. Mm. Yeah. The bump and baby class that we did, they did discuss a bit of both, which was helpful. It's just, you know, I know a lot of women can't even breastfeed. They can't even do it in the hospital. And it would be great if midwives were a bit more understanding about that. And maybe they are in that instance. I mean, I could breastfeed, so I didn't have issue i mean my favorite bit though about breastfeeding was the late night feeds i got really addicted to solitaire (laughs) nice (laughs) i started falling asleep and i was so nervous i was gonna fall asleep then she was gonna fall asleep and then fall off the bed and i was like oh my god so 
I downloaded solitaire and then I got really competitive with it with myself. Yes. And then I was like, she was done feeding and I was like still going until I finished. The game. <laughs> what one piece of advice would you give to another woman coming up through the motherhood ranks? I would say just enjoy whatever comes your way. Pregnancy is not easy for some people, but it's also really rewarding. Real Birth Stories is brought to you by Butterbean, the online platform for parents and parents-to-be. If you'd like to find out more, then head to butterbean.uk or follow us on Instagram and Facebook under the name butterbean.uk. We are currently looking for inspiring women to be on series two of the podcast. If you'd like to tell your story and help other women ahead of entering into motherhood, then email us at podcast at butterbean.uk. We would love to hear from you and hear your birth story. Hi, 